you to turn to the first book in your copies of Scripture, the book of Genesis, and then uh, chapter 25. Once a year, I try to do a sermon series on one of the great characters that uh, are in Scripture, and I've done some of the greats. I mean, we've done Moses and Esther and David and Elijah and Elisha, um, but this morning, we come to Jacob. Now, Jacob's a big deal. I don't want to take anything away from Jacob, but Jacob's a little bit difficult to preach because Jacob's kind of messed up. Jacob's name means cheater. And even when Jacob does things uh, right, he finds a way to mix in some things into his story that are not so admirable and great. And so when you preach uh, from the testimony of Jacob, there's not very many passages where you can go, do it like Jacob. Because there's going to be a lot of times when I go, Jacob had the right idea, he just did it the wrong way. And so a lot of caveats when you, you preach the, the testimony of Jacob. But you're going to hear me say later, there's grace in this. Because I suspect that your family's pretty messed up too. Amen? And your story's pretty messed up too. And even when you do right things, oftentimes you do them with not always right motives. And sometimes when you have the right motives, you don't always do it the right way. And so we'll find some, we'll find some connection here, I think, with Jacob, maybe more than we want to admit, uh, but it'll be a good word for us. If you're physically able, um, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, I'm going to pick up in Genesis chapter 25, uh, verse 19. And we're going to go through uh, verse 34. Now, this is sort of the, um, the, the God's word to, uh, to Jacob's mom before he was born. And then the testimony of he and his brother in the early days of their, of their lives. This is what the word of God has to say. Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethel, the, the Aramean of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said... If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled, skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, 
Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The testimony of Scripture is not a testimony of perfect people accomplishing God's purposes. Instead, the testimony of Scripture is a perfect God using imperfect people to accomplish His perfect will. Now, I hope that is a word of encouragement to you. So, if you are new to the faith, what what the Bible calls you to is not to get your right light right and perfect so that God can use you. No, what the Bible calls you to, what God is calling you to, is to give yourself to the Lord and He will use you even though you are imperfect and fail often in your attempts to serve the Lord. The testimony of Jacob is a complicated story. On the one hand, Jacob's story is not easily celebrated. Uh, He's not a man of strength. He's not a man of strength in his character, and he's not a man of strength even in his physical ability. So if we want to just, we can't, we don't have a hard time elevating him up as, a, as an example to follow in his morality and in his character of heart. But, but even just in his physical strength, those around him, the world around him didn't see him as a man to be emulated or to be, to be celebrated. He's a schemer. He's a manipulator. And he's a liar. That's Jacob for you. On the other hand, he is very significant because God demonstrated the character of his sovereign grace in choosing Jacob over his brother. This choosing of Jacob over Esau will be the testimony all the way throughout Scripture of God's sovereignty to choose whom he wills to accomplish his his purpose and to demonstrate his grace. Those who enjoy the grace of God today do not enjoy it because of merit, right, or worth, but only by the grace of God in choosing them. And that's the testimony God gives us with choosing Jacob over Esau. The beauty of Scripture is that it does not ignore the brokenness of human sin. So as we read the testimony of Jacob, from the beginning all the way to the end of his life, you're going to see a lot of brokenness of sin. Scripture does not sanitize the testimony of Scripture. Um, sometimes I'll I'll have conversations with folks and I'll know a little bit about their family history and I'll know that there's some brokenness, there's some messed up stuff in their brokenness and I'll get a little chuckle sometimes when when the family recounts things. I I knew somebody one time who was serving time in prison and uh, I asked about how they were doing and the, 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 the person telling me about it did not know that I knew that they were in prison and, and they said, well, they're, uh, they told me where they were living. They said, they're working for the state these days. <laughs> and I thought, well, indeed they are working for the state for probably about four or five more years and then they might get to come home. Scripture doesn't sanitize things like that. Scripture tells us exactly what it is for what it is, brokenness and all. Scripture acknowledges all the ugliness and brokenness of humanity. 
But, but in that, God demonstrates his power and amazing grace with people like Jacob and with people like you and me who are broken, who have testimonies of failure, who are schemers, manipulators, and liars. God is still using us for the glory of his name. So in Genesis chapter 25, we have the introduction of the two sons of Isaac, Esau and Jacob. God had made a covenant with Abraham. And part of the covenant of, to, that God made to Abraham was, God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land that you'll possess and I'll keep you in. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And so you're going to, you're going, you're, you're, your descendants are going to be great. And God said, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. Now, we understand that to mean the, the Messiah, that the Messiah was to come as a descendant of Abraham and through the Messiah, all the families of the earth would have blessing in the salvation that comes through Jesus. Now, this, this promise that, that God made to Abraham to bless all the families of the earth would be fulfilled in the Messiah. And so one of the things that we pay a lot of attention to when we read the accounts of the genealogy throughout Scripture is we, we, we follow the promise or follow the blessing from Abraham all the way to Jesus. When Matthew begins his gospel, chapter 1, he gives us a genealogy. It's a genealogy of not every cousin that's in the family of, uh, of Abraham, but every, of all the generations of the promise that it flowed from Abraham all the way through Jesus. What's unique about this story is that the promise would go from Abraham to Isaac but then to Isaac, to Jacob, that's not how you would have expected the story to go. And in this turn of events of not going to the firstborn, but going to the secondborn, not going to the strongest, but going to the, to the weakest, we learn an essential truth about the promise of God. God's blessing and God's promise will not go to those whom who man's customs opinions, traditions, or even desires think God's promises and blessings ought to go to. God's promises and God's blessings go to whomever God so chooses. That is what we mean when we say sovereign, God-choosing grace. Today, I want us to consider Jacob, but also, we're also going to consider his brother Esau as well, and a little bit of their mom and dad too. And what they treasured in their heart. The, the, the question here that we will find, and it'll, it'll play out all the way through Jacob and Esau's life, is this idea of the, the birthright. The birthright was, um, I mean, the inheritance, but it was more than just money and stuff. It, it also meant that the one who received the birthright would be the leader of the family in, in political, social terms, but also spiritual terms as well. Jacob wanted that birthright. Esau thought it was his to give away. And I want us to see in this, in this testimony of these two brothers um, what they treasured and what they were willing to sacrifice and what they were willing to give away for what they treasured. And out of this, I want us to see these three things out of this passage. Number one, I want us to understand the sovereign grace of God is greater than the popular opinion of man. So what really matters is not what you and I think or what the opinion of man is, but what is the sovereign grace of God? What is God choosing and what is God doing? Secondly, I want us to see that there is, that we ought to pursue eternal value, not momentary pleasure. We're going to talk about how Esau sold his birthright for a pot of stew. 
And then lastly, I, I want to encourage us. The, the encouragement of this sermon is to desire God's blessing above all else. You and I are the recipients of abundant provision of God. Do not squander that today, but desire the great blessing of God. Let's begin with sovereign grace, not popular opinion. Now, a couple of places I want to draw your attention back in the passage before we, we move into this. And that is, first of all, if you'll look in verse 20, uh, um, 23, Rebecca went and inquired of the Lord. This is the word of God speaking here over the two boys that are within her womb. And God says about them that two nations are in her womb and two peoples from within uh, you will be divided. So two nations are coming out from these two brothers. But then he says about the brothers, he says, the one shall be stronger than the other. Well, we get that. Esau is stronger than Jacob. But this is the kicker. I mean, this is a surprise of, the, of this word from the Lord. He says, the older shall serve the younger. That's not how things go. That's not the tradition of man. That's not the way that things were expected to go. And yet God has declared over these two boys that Jacob will, will rule over Esau, that Esau will serve Jacob. Now, now look with me in verse 27. In verse 27, it tells us that when the boys grew up, Esau was a skilled hunter, a man of the field. Now, that is to indicate to your hearing, he's got the, the traits and the character and the nature that people like. These are, these are qualities that are celebrated in man. He's a hunter. He's a man's man. He's strong and mighty. And, and a skillful hunter, a man of the field. And then it says, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. He was a homebody. A little weak, soft-handed, not a skilled hunter. And then it says, Isaac, the dad, loved his boy Esau because he ate his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, there's a lot of things we could talk about in that passage. We could talk about the dysfunction of favoritism within parents and all that kind of stuff. We'll leave that for another day. This morning, I want us to think about um, how we understand grace according to God's choosing. So when we talk about grace, we, we receive grace not out of our opinion, not out of who we think we ought, ought to receive it, not how tr man's tradition says we ought to receive it. We receive grace according to God's choosing. Jacob's family struggled with all the dysfunctions that modern families deal with. So in this passage, we pick up on civil, uh, sibling rivalry. Uh, these two boys were working against one another. We pick up on, I mean, the Bible just outright says it. Dad loved Esau, mom loved Jacob. That probably caused a little conflict in the home. And so there was favoritism in the home. Rebecca gave birth to twins, Esau and Jacob, and from the start, the Bible says they were very, very different. Esau was firstborn. He was the strong one. He was the man's man. He was an outdoorsman. He was a skilled hunter. All the things that were honored and, uh, and celebrated in his day, by the way, those things are still honored and celebrated in our day, and his dad loved him for it, in part because his dad had a taste for the wild game that Esau brought home uh, to him. Jacob was the secondborn. He was born holding on to the heel of his brother. That's why they named him Jacob. Jacob literally means um, uh, he, he takes by the heel, which is, um, which, was a, um, which is a phrase. I mean, it's a literal phrase, but what it means is he's a cheater. He's a schemer. He's, he's coming about by things not by his own might, but by uh, holding on to the heels of another. 
So already his name says this kid's not as great and mighty as his brother. He's quiet. He's a homebody. He's not very manly. When you put the two together, Esau's the one that you brag on. Jacob's the, the other son. And from the outside looking in, everything points to Esau as the son who is and should be favored. I mean, he is the firstborn after all, and he was more impressive physically, and he was his father's favorite. All of those things said, Esau's the man. Esau's the one who ought to receive the blessing from his father, the birthright from his father. He's the rightful recipient of, of, the, of the inheritance of his dad to, to lead the family to be the, the one that is chosen to take on after his father passes. But God's grace comes not because of what man desires, but according to the sovereign choice of God. Writing to the Romans, uh, Paul references this passage as a testimony to God's election. I want you to listen to what Paul says about this passage. This is Romans 9, picking up in verse 6. Paul says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, by the Lord I would add, the older will serve the younger. Now, listen to me. What is so amazing about the grace of God is that it is not experienced according to the expectations of man. What is so amazing about the grace of God is that it flows according to the sovereign choice of God himself. Now, in case you don't get the amazing, great, the amazing truth of this, of this testimony, there is not a single person in this room that I know of that is a rightful blood heir of the promises of Abraham. None of you descended as a descendant, a blood descendant from Abraham. None of you can claim, go back in your genealogy and do Ancestry.com and find your way back to Abraham and go, yes, because of who my father is and great, 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 great granddaddy is and, and well beyond that, I'm a descendant of Abraham, therefore I am a recipient of the promise of God. No, if you're saved today, you received the, the gift of grace today, you received that not because you deserved it by rights of men, you received that simply because of the sovereign choice and the sovereign grace of God to choose you and to draw you to himself. That, my friends, is indeed amazing grace in the sovereignty of God. You see, grace is according to the choice of God, and grace is also according to the power of God. Isaac preferred Esau because he was likely, he he liked um, what Esau provided, and he was, um, and Esau was the man, um, had turned out to be the man that the world tends to celebrate. 
If there was, praise God there wasn't, but if there was ancient Facebook, Isaac's feed would have been filled with bragging posts about Esau. He'd been bragging about all that he did on the football field because you know Esau would have played football, right? And he would have bragged about all the great hunts that Esau had had and put pictures of him with all the great kills that he had had. And, and he would have bragged on, oh, we're having a great wild game supper tonight because Esau brought it home this weekend. And probably Jacob would have had his feelings hurt regularly because he would have just been in the background of those pictures when his dad bragged on his brother. But God had declared to Rebekah that Esau was going to be the strong one of the two sons, but that Jacob would be the one who would receive the blessing. For all the things that have changed since the days of Esau and Jacob, it's still true in our day as well, that Esau would have been more celebrated than Jacob in our day. The world loves power. The world loves strength. The world loves the ability to win and be successful. Those are the ones that we point to and go, yes, yes, we like those folks. Those are the ones to be celebrated. It's interesting, sometimes we spiritualize this preference for physical ability over God's sovereign choice. Sometimes there are some people, maybe you know these people, who are gifted. I mean, they're, they're strong, they're, they're likable, they're successful people, but, they, but they, they're not followers of Jesus. And sometimes even in the church, we'll say of them, oh, if only they would give their life to Jesus, they really could be so useful for the kingdom of God. God could use them in amazing ways to draw people to Jesus. And, and when we say that, we're spiritualizing this, this elevation of human um, perceptive, uh, perception of strength over what God can do. So what we're saying is they've got what God needs to accomplish his will. But the testimony of Esau and Jacob is not that God's looking for strong men. God chooses who he chooses, and then he empowers them to do what he desires for them to do. God uses whomever he wishes, and God uses whomever he chooses. More often, God uses the weak to demonstrate his strength. Now, here's a word of grace for you today. You may be the Jacob today. So nobody's bragging about how many successes you've had. And you're not the one who's strong and mighty. And, and, and you, didn't, you didn't make the superlatives in the high school yearbook. That may be your story today. Find some connection here to Jacob. God's blessing, God's choosing, and God's using is not based on what you bring to the Lord. It is simply based on who God chooses and empowers to do what he wills. God's grace flows toward those whom he chooses to demonstrate his power, not toward those who think they deserve to receive his power. Sovereign grace, not popular opinion. Number two, eternal value, not momentary pleasure. So in verse 29 through 33, we, we are told this event. Now, the, the, these two boys are likely um, young men at this, at this moment. And they're doing what they do. Esau's out hunting, and Jacob's at the house cooking. And it says to us in verse 29 that when Jacob was cooking stew... Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which means red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I am about to die. What, of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him 
and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Esau, thus Esau despised his birthright. Eternal value, not momentary pleasure. There's a principle here I want you to catch and that is that you sacrifice for whatever it is that you value. You sacrifice for what you value. Verse 29 tells us that of of this event that probably was not an uncommon event between these two brothers. Jacob was home cooking, probably not the first time Esau had come home and found Jacob cooking. Esau had been out hunting. That's what he does. And from the details we gather that Esau gave little attention to planning ahead. So he'd come home and he's exhausted and he's tired. He's made no plans for for a meal and he's desperate to eat. In our modern vernacular, he's a bit hangry and he's ready to eat. His brother Jacob, the cheater, uh, was one who did plan ahead and probably had set this moment up knowing his brother was going to come in and be a bit desperate to eat. Esau comes home from hunting and, and he's so hungry that nothing else matters to him but filling his belly. Now, I want to be very careful and clear here. It is not sinful to be hungry. I plan on being hungry this afternoon. Amen. It's not sinful being hungry. We will all find ourselves hungry at times. And sometimes circumstances will conspire against us to cause us to be extremely hungry and desperate to eat. You may have found yourself in a situation like that and you're desperate to eat. And, you know, we often say when you're, when you're hungry enough, it doesn't matter if the food's good. It'll be good if you're hungry enough. And so if you get to a space like that, just, just, I just want to eat something. And we, may, we likely are all will find ourselves in that situation. That in of itself is not sinful. Esau's sin is that he valued his birthright so little that he was willing to throw it away for a single pot of stew. The sin here is not being hungry. And the sin here is not even being desperate to eat. The sin here is devaluing or despising something of great value. He despised his birthright. And so when it was presented to him, give me your birthright for a pot of stew, he said, it's worthless to me. Take it for I'd rather have the pot of stew. Writing about this in his commentary, Boyce writes these words I thought were helpful. He says, from a human viewpoint, not from God's, the birthright was his, that is Esau's. Certainly his father wanted him to have it, but Esau thought so little of these spiritual advantages that he virtually threw his birthright away. Look, I'm about to die, he said. What good is a birthright to me? Friends, what you sacrifice and what you, what you sacrifice for and what you sacrifice Um, What you sacrifice and what you sacrifice for is a testimony to what you treasure and what you despise. You will happily sacrifice and throw away something you despise for something that you value. Do you choose worldly pleasure over being in the house of God for worship? That's a testimony of throwing something away to receive something else. It's a testimony of sacrificing something for chasing after something you value. Do you give your resources to things of pleasure over the kingdom of God, the work of the kingdom of God? That's a testimony of something that you treasure versus something that you despise. Esau loved the pleasure of a meal. And his sin was that he loved the pleasure of a meal more than the blessing of his birthright. Friends, you will happily give away what you despise to have what you treasure. 
What are you giving away? And what do you treasure? You sacrifice for what you value. And secondly, you desire what has value desire what has value beyond the present. So what is happening here between these two brothers is Esau is looking only at the present and Jacob's looking at the future. On the one, uh, on, on the one hand, things about, uh, um, uh, when you, on one hand, when you preach this message about Jacob, his, his behavior has some real moral complications. And so when you say Jacob desired something that had eternal value, that's good, but, but it's hard to declare that with, with, with full intensity because you, you kind of back up when you go, but he's scheming, he's tricking, he's manipulating his brother out of his birthright. There's no doubt in my mind that Jacob knew his brother's weakness. In fact, I think he knew this moment was coming. I think he knew his brother was going to come in hungry. He probably picked his brother's favorite meal, had it ready to go, uh, maybe um, um, waft that uh, steam under his brother's nose and just brought his brother to a point where he knew his brother would give up his birthright. I think he had prepared for this moment by cooking those things and waiting until his brother was desperate. The disappointing thing about Jacob's behavior is that it demonstrated a lack of faith in the sovereignty and providence of God. Listen, one of the things we, we, we seldom talk about with Jacob is that God had already declared that he was going to receive the birthright. If Jacob did nothing but wait in, in faith on God, he would have received the birthright that was declared to be his by the sovereignty of God. However, He didn't wait. But what we can say between the two brothers is that Jacob rightly desired what had eternal value. Again, Boyce writing on this I thought was helpful. He said, Jacob was right to desire the birthright. True, he schemed to get it when he needed only to wait on God. God had already said that the rights of the firstborn were his. Jacob saw a good thing in a bad way. He is not to be praised for his methods. Still, he is to be commended for desiring the birthright and appreciating the honor of possessing it. Friends, the question for us is, what has captured your heart's desire? Because whatever has captured your heart's desire, you will give your life to pursuing it. You're chasing after something. You're pursuing something. Jacob pursued the birthright. His motives were right. The way he went about it was not well. But he understood what had real value. And friends, I think the lesson here for us is desire what is eternal, what is God honoring, what is according to the will of God, and, and pursue that for the glory of God and for the sake of the kingdom. And one last thing I want us to see out of this passage, and that is desire God's blessing. Now, here I want us to consider Esau. And I want to encourage you, it really is a warning. Do not squander what God has provided. Now, understand who Esau is. Esau is the son of Isaac. He is the grandson. His granddaddy is Abraham. Abraham, whom God chose, whom God made his covenant with. I mean, the Abrahamic covenant, named after Abraham. When the, the, when the, when the, um, when the uh, patriarchs are named in scriptures, Abraham and Isaac, those are Esau's dad and granddaddy. He's, these are close 
family connections with him. If there was ever anybody in scripture who had spiritual blessings, it's Esau. He grew up under Isaac. He grew up under his granddad, Abraham. One commentator wrote, he said, Esau is no heathen. He's not the son of Abimelech, the the king of the Philistines, or Barah, the king of Sodom, both of whom were encountered in the record of Abraham's life. Esau is a son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham himself. And he was not even born a slave as Ishmael. His mother was Rebekah. If anyone was ever raised from the abundance of spiritual advantages, it was Esau. Yet Esau sold his birthright for a mess of pottage, just as many do today, though they have the advantages of a deep and prolonged exposure to Christianity. Now hear me carefully. Do not squander what God has provided. This is what I mean by this. If you are hearing me preach today, so those of you who are in the room hearing me preach, but, but for that matter, if you're watching us on our live stream video or next week or five years from now, listening to the podcast or, or watching this sermon online, if you're hearing me preach today, you are a, bene- a beneficiary of tremendous spiritual blessing. You have access to God's word. Do you understand there are people today that may lose their life if they get caught with a Bible in their possession? You've probably got one on you right now. There are Bibles in the pew in front of you. And if we were to go home and collect all the Bibles that we own collectively, we could fill this room up with them. You have access to to the Word of God, free and and, and amazingly abundant. You have the ability to be in in, in the fellowship with other believers. You have the freedom to be here today. You have the freedom to be in Sunday school this morning and to to interact with, be blessed by other believers. You have an abundance of faithful biblical preaching. Praise God you're here today. What a joy it is to preach to you. But you, you have abundant access to biblical preaching all over the place. You have abundance to um, wonderful, biblical, faithfully biblical teaching, both in our Sunday school teaching, but, but for that matter, there are bookstores filled with books that are helpful to your walk with the Lord. If there was ever a generation that was blessed spiritually more than us, I don't know who they are so much. You turn down more opportunities to be blessed spiritually this week than any other generation that's ever lived. And yet many of you are squandering that opportunity. Some of you, like Esau, grew up in homes where the gospel was preached. Maybe your mom and dad loved Jesus. And so as you grew up, you heard the testimony of the gospel in your home. Some of you were blessed with parents and some of you were blessed with grandparents who preached the gospel to you. Praise God for that. Lived out the gospel in front of you. We could spend hours recounting all the ways that God has provided for us spiritually. But like Esau, we have known the abundance of spiritual provisions. But I want you to hear the the warning today. It did not matter who Esau's dad was, his mom was, his grandmother, or his grandfather was. He had all of those great, mighty spiritual blessings, and he squandered what God had provided for him. Receiving these provisions, we should receive these provisions with thanksgiving and praise, but we must be careful not to squander these provisions with contempt and wastefulness. When Esau considered all of the blessings of his spiritual inheritance, his birthright, he said, what good is that to me when I'm hungry? Give me a pot of stew, you can have 
the rest. Now, maybe you're not tempted by a pot of stew, but we are tempted by the things of this world. We are tempted by the trinkets of this world, the entertainments of this world, the things of this world that will not last, that will be burned up in the judgment, in the judgment day of Christ. Do not squander the great and mighty spiritual blessings that you've been provided and count them as worthless like Esau for things of this world that will not last. And second to that, I would warn you, do not despise the goodness of God's grace. The grace of God is offered through Jesus. Friends, right now, in this very moment, you have the opportunity to receive the full grace of God through the forgiveness of your sins by believing on faith in Jesus. That's the testimony of Scripture. That promise started with Abraham. It was fulfilled in Jesus, and it is offered to you today. There is no salvation outside of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what the writer of Hebrews wrote about this passage, particularly about Esau. So the writer of Hebrews points to the example of Esau as a warning to the church against forfeiting the grace of God. Listen to what he says. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like, and you know who he points out? Like Esau. Sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. You might be asking, and I hope you are, what does it mean to despise the goodness of God's grace? Like Esau, many are despising the goodness of God's grace today as they pursue the pleasures of this world and ignore the grace of God. You know, oftentimes at the end of a sermon, I say, truth demands a response. When we preach here at Central, we present the truth that salvation is only found in Jesus. Now, if you receive that, you receive the grace of God. If you reject that, you are despising the goodness of God's grace. You're saying, I don't want it. I don't need it. What good is it to me? The writer of Hebrews says, don't be like Esau. Do not despise the grace of God. Receive today the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and be saved and receive the good grace that only comes through Jesus. Some of you are excellent financial investors. Some of you are not. But let me just ask you a few questions to see where you are in your financial acrimony. Would you be willing this morning to give $100 for something that would be worth $1,000? Anybody? Okay. I hear some rumbling. So I think, I think you'd be willing to do that. All right. All right. How about this? Would you be willing to scrape up $1,000 for something that's worth $100,000? Well, I don't know about you people, but I would. I'd find it. I'd beg, borrow. I wouldn't steal, but I'd beg and borrow for that $1,000. If I knew I could invest it 
a sure investment to become to something that was going to be worth $100,000. There's a guy by the name of Stan Caffey. He's about to get married. This is a true story. He's about to get married. He and his future bride, uh, they were an older couple, and, uh, and so they both had their own homes, and in preparation of married life and joining their two households, they were cleaning out their garages and cleaning out their homes. And uh, they had a big yard sale like we do, and the things that, that didn't sell, they called up Goodwill for, for Goodwill to come and collect all the things that didn't sell. That's what they did. And Goodwill did, came and took it all. Didn't bother Kathy at all. But then there was a man by the name of Michael Sparks. Michael liked to go to thrift stores. And Michael was shopping one day in the Music City Thrift Shop in Nashville, Tennessee. And when he was shopping there, he found an item that Kathy had given away to Goodwill. It was an old... Um, framed what he thought replica of the Declaration of Independence. Well, he asked the, the shop owner, how much is this? And she said to him, well, it's $2.48 plus tax. He probably paid with a $5 bill. And he went home. The short end of that story is he would later discover, Michael that is, that that $2.48 knickknack that he bought at the thrift store, plus tax of course, was not just a replica of the Declaration of Independence. It turned out to be one of the official copies, one of 200 commissioned by John Quincy Adams in 1820 when he was Secretary of State and printed by William Stone in 1823. It went to auction and it sold for well, $477,650. Now, if you could invest $2.48 plus tax in something that you knew you could sell later for $477,650, would you do it? And I'm going to make a safe bet here today that the answer of everyone in this room is yes. And, and I, I don't know whoever bought that Declaration of Independence um, at auction, but I'm guessing that they probably treat it differently than Caffey did when it was hanging on the wall of his garage. Now, they went back and interviewed Caffey and said, what, what do you think about that? And he had a a good attitude about it. And he, he said, well, I didn't think anything about it. And so it doesn't really bother me now. I'm not sure that's true. Because if it was me, it bothered me. Kathy was willing to give it away for free because that old piece of paper he thought was worthless. Somebody else was willing to give $477,650 because they recognized that it was a great treasure indeed. Friends, you're willing to sacrifice a lot for things that are of true value 
things that are of true treasure. And my word for you this morning is that there is nothing more valuable. There is nothing more treasurable than the great grace of God. And the New Testament is described like a, like a great treasure that's discovered in a field. And the person who found it went and sold everything they had so they could buy the field so they could have the treasure. They were willing to give up everything they had so that they could possess the great treasure of salvation. And the amazing testimony of the grace of God is this treasure is not had by effort or by your work. This treasure is only had by faith in Jesus who has already provided it for you. Jacob's not a great character to emulate in many ways. But he is in this one way. He treasured the birthright. He treasured the promise. He treasured the covenantal promise. Dear friends, that was made full through Jesus. And it is offered to you today for those who believe on Jesus in faith. And the only question of if you will have it is will you give your life? Will you surrender all the worthless things of this world that you might possess the incalculable treasure of the grace of God? For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.